Good morning, everyone. My name is Ricky, and it's a great privilege to be able to encourage you from the Word this morning. We've been busy with a series on discipleship, and we've already had two, two sermons on that. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about the fellowship side of discipleship, and I want to start by making reference back to the words that Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Now, please keep this in mind. Jesus was dead. He was in a grave for three days. He is, he is now risen. So the disciples are speaking to a man, a person who was dead and is alive. Would you not listen to someone who was dead and then alive and he had to say something? Would you not? I would be paying careful attention. Okay, what's Jesus going to say? He's going to say something, guys. Listen. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he goes on to say, go and make disciples. And Jesus, when he started his journey, he said, come, follow me. Pierre preached about that. He spoke about how discipleship is based primarily and first of all on our relationship with Jesus. We cannot encourage other people in their relationship with the Lord unless we know Jesus. Discipleship is a value here in this local church. We value it. We value the spiritual growth of every individual in this church. That's why we are preaching about it. We want to see you and we want to see everyone grow spiritually. Jesus said, come to me, follow me. Then he said, I will teach you to be fishers of men. And France preached on that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Please, uh, uh, please get the, the sermon if you haven't listened to it. He preached an incredible word uh, which will help you just to approach family and friends who you want to uh, share the good news with. So he says, go and make disciples. Um, some of you have maybe heard of Francis Chan. He's an American pastor. Uh, he wrote the book, Crazy Love. He's a very authentic man, and he, he absolutely loves the Lord. He loves the Word. But he said something with regards to discipleship. He says, you know the game we play, Simon says, Simon says, pat your head, and we all pat our heads. Simon says, rub your tummy. We rub our tummies. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And what do we do? Memorize the Scripture. <laughs> That's not what Jesus has told us to do. We can all memorize this scripture, but are we making disciples? Is it a part of our lives? Is it something that we value? We don't just want to be a church leadership that values it. We want to be a church community that values it. If someone asks you a question and they say, please describe the church to me only using the Bible, what would you say? Don't think about your experiences in church or the stuff that you like. What does the Bible say about church? And if you had to go and explain that to someone, what would you say? And the reason I'm, I'm stating this question is because today I want to show you from the Bible that we are all called to make disciples. And I know many of us have heard it before, and it's a it's a word that is used often in church, and I want to use today as a, as a reminder to what we've been called to. Jesus has called every single one of us, 
And he has empowered each of us. He's given us the ability to help other people grow spiritually. Can you imagine taking a blank piece of paper and answering that question, opening up the word, what does the Bible say about church? Writing down everything that God loves. Writing down everything that he hates. Writing down what God demands of us and he commands to us as a local church. What is, what, what is that info that we would have on that piece of paper? One of the things that the Bible says to us is that every single person, every member of the body is gifted with something. And that gift builds up the body. As you're sitting here today, you have something to give to the body of Christ, whether you feel it or not. Is church about a few people, only a few people using their gifts while hundreds come and sit together on a Sunday, they get fed and they go home? Is that what church is about? No, it's part of it, but that's not the be-all and end-all of church. The way that we even structure our church, if we don't give people the ability to be able to exercise this gift that God has given to us. We will, we will stunt people's spiritual growth. We've been called to be a body that works together. We don't want to ruin people by making them consumer Christians. If you had to come here every single week and just hear and be fed and made to, to feel good, that's, we, we're ruining your lives. We've been called to be servants, to be disciples to serve other people. The text that I'm going to read from today is Acts 2, verse 42. I can hear your Bibles turning. <laughs> Please read with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. The Message Bible, it says they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. And that word fellowship, if you look at the original Greek word, it is called koinonia. And what does it mean? It means fellowship, but if we look at the definition, it talks about a partnership. It talks about a contribution and participation. So when we talk about fellowship as believers and as a church, it's not a one-sided thing. It's not a feed me. It is a partnership. Are you in partnership with, with anyone? If you're in business and you're in partnership, there's a giving and a taking. Both parties are involved. It's a contribution. What are you contributing to the relationships in your Life. If you don't contribute to a relationship, what are you? A parasite. Parasites just feed off the other body. I'm encouraging you to participate. As a church, we want to be a participating body of people. Each, not, not pew warmers, not plastic chair warmers. We want you to participate in the life of of what we are doing. And it's not just in the life of what we are doing as a church. We believe God has given us a, an objective, a mandate to reach the nations with the good news. But we need participation. When the early church started 
And when it started to explode, the disciples and the believers, they needed something more than just average relationships. They needed a supernatural connection to one another. The leaders of the early church had spent three years with Jesus, and he had demonstrated to them what koinonia was. They then had to go and model that to the people of the early church. If you read the book of Acts, things weren't easy. Things were tough. You know, they were persecuted. And the relationships, the strength of the relationships determined the strength of the early church. They could not rely just on grit and determination in their individual selves. They had to be with one another, encourage one another. Can you imagine the disciples getting together for a meal in the evening? And Paul saying, yes, guys, check what I got today. 39 lashes. Yeah, yeah I had a few rocks thrown at me today. They, how many of you would be able to do that by yourself? I don't think we would be able to do it together anyway, but they, they needed relationship. There are a few scriptures that talk about this koinonia type of fellowship. Romans 13, 8, love one another. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens. I'm so thankful that I have friends around me who help me carry the burdens of life. I don't think I would be standing here today if I didn't have that. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. The Bible speaks to us about that. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus had three very close friends in John, James, and Peter. He walked with 12 men, the 12 disciples. He also had a relationship with the 72 and the 500 that went out into the community to share the good news. And for me, it, it, it's amazing to see Jesus' discipleship strategy. He didn't say, gather the masses. I want to speak to the thousands, now go. He started with three and then 12. And those people went to reach the masses. An incredible discipleship strategy. The Apostle Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, he had ministry companions throughout everything that he did. The great preacher John Wesley, he had something called the Holy Club with all of his close friends. But it wasn't just a club. It involved a series of probing questions that went much deeper than how are you doing. I was encouraged a few years ago when I was on campus and when I was being discipled. And the encouragement that I received is, Rick, what are those questions that you don't want anybody to ask you? What are those questions? Write them down and then give them to someone and give them the permission to ask you at any time. We're starting to talk about discipleship. Discipleship is more than just accountability. Because when you are accountable to someone, it sometimes is limited based on what you just share. Accountability doesn't have its strength in the relationships. Accountability has its strength in wanting to be accountable. I hope that makes sense. I must want to be discipled more than I want other people to disciple me. 
You must want it. You must pursue it. You must want it to be a value in your life. And it comes from a sense of the fear of the Lord. I love God so much, and I want to accomplish everything that he has called me to do. Therefore, I'm going to position myself around other people who can speak into my life. I'm going to share three points today, and this sermon is going to be a little bit more of a teaching, a little bit more practical. So please stay with me, and uh, I'm going to talk, uh, look at three key relationships from the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the life of Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy, and just see how they related to one another, and what, how did they do koinonia, fellowship with each other? My first encouragement to you is, you need to be a Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy, they were disciples. They were followers of Christ, but they were involved with each other's lives. Barnabas was a good friend to Paul. They were companions. They were peers. So, here's the amazing thing about Barnabas. A question we can ask ourselves is, do you think that Paul would have accomplished everything that God had called him to do if it wasn't for Barnabas? Why do I say that? Because very soon after Paul's Damascus experience, so Paul had just had this encounter with God, and let's just remind ourselves, he was going to kill believers. There was this fear. Guys, just be careful. Paul is coming and he's angry. What does Barnabas do? He responds to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he goes and he starts to build a relationship with Paul. He takes Paul to the apostles, and he vouches for his testimony. Acts 9. Barnabas didn't have to do this, but this act of encouragement provided a necessary link between Paul and the fulfillment of what God had called him to do. And I want to say to you today that you need Barnabases in your life to help you fulfill the call of God upon your life. No matter what it is, you need those people around you who can encourage you, who can challenge you, who can speak truth and life. Barnabas always seemed to be looking for someone to encourage. That people referred to him as the son of encouragement. Some people had seemingly overlooked Paul because of, let's say, his past history. He had messed up quite badly. But Barnabas did not allow Paul's past to determine what his future looked like. Barnabas called out God's plan in Paul's life. And what happens? The Antioch church found a place for Paul, and he began to minister and build relationship, and the rest is history. Paul did an incredible work for God. This was not the only person that Barnabas reached out to. John Mark, in Acts 15, we read about how Paul encouraged him. And I know that Mark and uh, Paul had a little bit of a, a speed bump in their relationship, but that didn't hinder Barnabas. He again, he went to look for the gold in the life of these people, and he called it out. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, I love Michelle dearly. Michelle's my wife. But there's, a, there's an aspect of her that I absolutely love. 
she displays the Barnabas spirit on steroids. <laughs> My nickname for her, and I've just decided upon that now, is Barnabessy. <laughs> so why do I say that? Sounds like Butabessy. Barnabessy. Michelle does not, uh, she never, let me try to explain this. When there is an opportunity, <laughs> when there is an opportunity to Barnabas someone, Michelle does not lose that moment. I've seen her countless times where she's been in a group of people, some of the people she hardly knows, and if she feels the Lord leading her to encourage them, to call them out on a foundation of love, she will do that. Uh, there have been times when there have been a couple of days later after something has, has happened in a person's life, and she's gone in to encourage them and say, this is not God's plan for your life. God has not designed you to be like this. And she pulls the gold out of it. So I, I love that about Michelle, and it, it's amazing to see how God works through her. So be a Barnabas. And don't wait for a Barnabas to come to you. You be a Barnabas. You'll reap what you sow. If you are a Barnabas to someone, you'll get Barnabases around you. The second point is pursue a Paul. Be a Barnabas, pursue a Paul. Think of the list of people that Paul impacted in the New Testament. Timothy, Titus, Onesimus, Luke, Silas, Mark, there, there were these guys, might not have uh, been uh, younger than him, but they had a mentor in Paul. It's important that we have someone who can mentor us and lead us. Did this relationship take place in a formal classroom? I don't think so. I think what they learned foundationally in the scriptures that they, they learned from Paul or put into context, and they were applied when they went from city to city. That's what they did in teams. They went from city to city. And if you look at times past, the son used to work with the father, learning not only the skill and the competency of the trade, but also the behavior and the values. Where does this happen today? Does it happen in a classroom setting? No. And I think there is a part to that. I mean, we come together on a Sunday and we hear a message, we do Bible school, etc. But it cannot be limited to that. It needs to involve a relationship. I, when I was preparing, I, I thought it was quite humorous. I mean, we know the story that Timothy uh, was circumcised so that they could reach a specific group of people. He didn't need to be, but Paul suggested you need to be circumcised. Can you imagine... Timothy and the youngsters coming into class and say, right guys, today we're going to talk about circumcision. And Timothy is thinking, yes, circumcision of the heart. And Paul's saying, Timothy, I think there's a very good chance we can reach these people if we circumcise you. Do you think he said, yes, Paul, I agree, let's do it. No, I think he said, you're crazy. I'm releasing you of your duty from leading me. I'm joining another. Uh, I'm joining another Bible school. But it must have, you know. Sometimes a Paul says stuff in your life, and it's not. It's not always comfortable. It hurts sometimes. I'm like, how dare you say that to me? 
you know, and then after a few days, you realize what you said was right. You know, we've got to allow that um, in our lives. We've got to give people the right to speak into our lives. Mentoring is not best accomplished through a formal program. Mentoring takes place best when the one desiring input pursues. And I, I mentioned that earlier. Give someone the right to speak into your life. Write down those questions. What are those questions you don't want anyone to ask you? And give it to someone that you trust and, and love. Mentoring takes place as we watch, as we listen, as we serve, as we follow, as we learn, as we glean, as we emulate. I would not be in the place that I am today if I did not have Paul's. I, I have men in my life that are considered to be, if I can use the word spiritual fathers, they were... And it's not so much what they say to me and they tell me what to do. It's just looking at their lives and following. They've lived a good couple of years more than me. And, it's, and that's, that's what encourages me. In Elisha's day, the process took place as the two of them walked together. Two kings two. Now, Elisha looked up to Elijah as his father. It goes on to say, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Elisha said that to Elijah. So what was happening is Elijah was going to three different places. And he said, Elisha, stay here. Just stay here. I've got to go there. Elijah goes, Elisha says, no, I'm coming with. Elijah says again, I'm going there. Just stay there. Elijah said, no, I'm coming with. Elijah, there was no reason why Elisha should have followed Elijah. He didn't encourage him to come along. He didn't say, listen, Elijah, if you come with me, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to see amazing things. Elisha was at a heart of saying, I've got, to, I've got to be in this relationship. I can learn from it. Mentoring is not something someone does to someone else. It's a result of the diligent pursuit of another's life. Do you have a Paul in your life? And I'm not saying it needs to become very legalistic and contractual where you sign an agreement. No, there's a connection. You must probably already have relationships in your life that, that could be Paul's. Pursue a Paul. Even the Apostle Paul, he had a Paul in the person of Gamaliel. And he sat under his teachings for 14 years before he went into his ministry. And then the third point is train a Timothy. So be a Barnabas, pursue a Paul, train a Timothy. Do you like my alliteration? So Brian was in the first service, and he came to me and says, Rick, it was a great sermon. Now, if nobody else took anything away, you've given me some lyrics to write a new song. <laughs> and he started to sing. I'm not going to sing because I might scare you. But Brian, do you want to sing it? No. Train a Timothy. One of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Paul says, what you've heard from me, generation 1. Timothy was generation 2. He said, entrust to faithful men, generation 3, who will teach others, generation 4. Discipleship is a multi-generational spiritual dynamic. It's, you want to, those 
people that you are walking with and encouraging in their spiritual walk, you, you want to just keep going on and on and on. My grandfather was appalled to me, even at the time I didn't realize that. He, he gave me my first Bible, and um, he used to also drop off these little Our Daily Bread booklets, the white ones. Does anyone remember them? But what he used to do is he used to slip a two-rand note. Yes, youth, there was a two-rand note. <laughs> it was blue, and it was like a smaller one. I'm going to hear someone shout from the back. There was also a one-rand note. <laughs> okay, okay. Right, so the two-rand notes, I'm like, I loved it when my grandfather came. I knew when he was coming, he gave me my booklet. I was like, thank you very much. Two-rand in the pocket, book in the shelf. So when I started to read these books, I had like a whole shelf worth of books. And that started my, just the, my spiritual walk. And he was faithful in just sowing into my life. And eventually, there was fruit that came. But my, my grandfather, he invested in my life, he invested time, and he invested just everything that he had. He wanted to see us grow spiritually. We, this is the greatest in investment that we can make here on earth. Yes, we can invest finances, we can invest in property, etc., etc., but guess what? We won't be able to take that with at the end of the day. You will be able to take with the relationships of people who have come to know Jesus. This is the greatest investment that you can make. And if I go back to our very first question, if somebody had to ask you, what is the church like? Describe the church by just using the Bible. Every person here has got a gift. Every person here has been called to make disciples, whether it's one person or whether it's many. Parents, you are automatic Pauls in your family if you've got children. They are your Timothys. I see my children as my Timothys. I, my, my first priority as a dad and in my discipleship and mentorship is to my children. And I set aside time to speak to them. They don't even know it, but there are moments when I listen very carefully to what they are saying or how their day was, and I just can easily ask some questions to generate a conversation and then bring the truth of God in. I read a statistic a couple of months ago that really shocked me. And the statistic was, what is the average time that a father spends with his children on a daily basis? Maybe you want to just think in your mind what that is. The answer was 45 seconds. On a daily basis, a father spends 45 seconds connected time with his children. And it's easy to believe because life is quite busy these days. You know, get home from work, you're tired, kids are doing homework, you're preparing supper, everyone shovels down their meal, go off back to their, if you actually get to sit down to have a meal together, more homework, parents exhausted, into bed, and then another day. So it's believable, that 45 seconds. And if you are not deliberate, if you're not deliberate in carving out time to walk with Timothys, it won't happen. If you're going to leave that to chance, chances are it will not happen. We need to be deliberate in our relationships. Now, if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, even though he was a dynamic man, he was never, ever a one-man show. 
He always had people around him. And there are benefits also, also to you who are leading Timothy's. What are the benefits? As you teach and as you share God's principles with the Timothys, they get highlighted in your mind and in your heart. And they strengthen your faith and your resolve. A certain amount of accountability is applied to the life of the one doing the training. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, it says, So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified to the prize. When you are encouraging someone, when you are helping them grow spiritually, you sharpen yourself. Because how can you, how can you tell someone to do something or encourage someone to do it if you are not living it your life? The, the greatest way that I can lead my children and others is for them to see the way I live my life. And I, I'm not perfect. We're all not perfect, you know. But it's that pursuit of displaying God's glory. Furthermore, joy wells up in the hearts of those that are invest, investing the training. The Apostle John, he said in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's a joy. It's a joy to see others take hold of God's plan for their life and to, to live it out. Be a Barnabas, pursue a Paul, and train a Timothy. Do you have those people in your life? And let's, let's keep it simple. You know, let's, let's start with those three. As I conclude my message today, I would like to use the illustration of the Belgian horses. Now, these horses are magnificent creatures. They're huge, they're powerful, and Belgian horses work the best when they work together. One Belgian horse can pull more than 3.6 tons. If you put two Belgian horses together that are strangers, so they've never worked together, so in your mind you're thinking double it. No, they can pull up to 11 tons, the two of them, which is almost triple what one can do. If you had to spend time and work with those two horses so that they work well together, they can pull up to 14.5 tons, which is almost four times the amount that one horse can pull. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because as Belgian horses are better together, we are better together in relationship. We are better together when we have Paul's, Barnabas's, and Timothy's in our lives. The disciples were not given the option to follow Jesus alone. It wasn't just disciples and Jesus' relationship. There was relationship between disciples and disciples. And sometimes it got messy. And Jesus stepped in to assist. But they learned and they grew together. Real fellowship is intentional, Christ-centered relationship. And it would be wrong for me to not finish off this morning by mentioning our chief uh, shepherd, Jesus. If you look at some of these pictures of these Belgian horses uh, working together, there often is a lead horse. And that lead horse for us is Jesus. He is the one who sets the pace he is the one that encourages us. He is the one that keeps us motivated. The love that we experience from him is the fuel, and it is the why we do what we do. 
If we go back to Matthew 28, yes, Jesus did say, go and make disciples. But then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word baptizing is the word to be fully immersed. And there's a scripture at the end of Corinthians which talks about the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And for me, I, I like to tie those two together. I believe Jesus was saying, baptize people in the love of the Father. Baptize them in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And baptize them in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have that understanding of who our Heavenly Father is, then discipleship will become a program to us. We've, we have to allow Jesus to be the one who changes our hearts, and who, that is the fuel and the passion behind what we do. He then goes on to say, teaching them everything that I have shown you what to do.